early sign that I really felt alone. I felt alone. And I remember, I remember the word because my grandmother had taught me and my mom had taught me that the word says that God will never leave you. And I was like, hmm, that's funny because <laughs> I feel very, very alone. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I am here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. And we are so excited about not only today's story, but what's going to happen in today's story. So we have Janice from Katie, Texas. And one thing that y'all don't get to hear a lot about is what happens in a live gathering. You get to hear the story, you get to hear the laughter, sometimes you even hear questions at the end, but what happens when the recording is stopped? And we have a special guest today on the end of this episode. So after Janice's story in our discussion at the end, we included our dear friend, Hethel, who is the community leader in Katy, Texas. And she is going to tell y'all all about Janice's story and what happened afterwards. You are going to love it. So if you're one that normally skips our discussions at the end, <laughs> Certainly not. our feelings are not hurt, but Hethel's will be hurt. And we will be sad if you skip it because it's so good. Well, I'm just so thankful that Janice shared at this live gathering in Katy, Texas. She talks about a subject that a lot of us feel, and maybe we don't verbalize it that much. And that's just the feeling of being alone. Janice reminds us in her story that as believers, we are never alone, that Jesus is alongside of us and he shows up in some of the most miraculous ways. You're going to hear that in her story. Before Janice's story, we do want to remind you that this Friday in our Patreon community, we will be posting our story within the story with Melanie Shankle. If you remember her episode 177 aired a couple of weeks ago, and we asked you guys to give us questions to ask Melanie on this episode, and you're going to love the questions that were asked about parenting and the struggles with parenting. So go to our Patreon community. There's a link here in our show notes and listen today. Here's Janice. Well, good morning, everybody. I want to take the time out to thank first Lisa. I know. Lisa. Her mom um, has COVID. Yeah, yeah, she's not able to be here, but Lisa is the sister of Liana. And uh, Liana is the husband of Brandon, and Brandon and my husband uh, do a lot of work in the community that we serve together, and they've partnered. And um, I'd have to tell you all about the great things that's happening with Northeast Houston to reach those who need God, need Jesus, need help, need hope, and all of those things. And so uh, Lisa introduced me to Kara, and I'm telling you, the first you know, is she everyone's best friend? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, my bestie. Uh, and this is a real quick, funny, you know, thing. We kind of say we're twinsies because, <laughs> you know, uh, we do look alike. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. But um, I, I said, you know, God just put a stamp on our uh, relationship because the waiter, we asked for ice cream, and it was this perfect vanilla and chocolate swirl. <laughs> Yesterday, um, we had such an amazing uh, launch, and our hearts just connected immediately. And so, I just want to thank you guys. Thank you, Kara, for opening up your home uh, for all of these beautiful women. And you guys are beautiful. Like, look at your neighbor. <laughs> you know, and, and the black. 
backtrack and say, look at your neighbor <laughs> and tell them they're beautiful. You can look at your neighbor and tell them they're beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And so just to be here with you guys is, is a blessing. And I also want to thank my crew, y'all. You know, some of them are leading ladies, uh, friends, and uh, just sisters. So I thank you guys for being here with me this morning. A lot of them know my story. Uh, some of them have been a part well, some are part of half my life, so they know all of my story and have been an integral part of what God has done in my life. So I thank y'all for being here. Janice Gentry, that's my name. I am married 25 years. Uh, I have four beautiful children. One uh, is 25, I have a 25-year-old girl, a 21-year-old girl, 20 boy. He's my only begotten. And then I have my youngest who is uh, 17. Uh, all of them, three of them are in college, including my young one. My youngest one, she uh, is in early college getting ready to head off uh, to North Carolina. So everybody's kind of out of the house. Uh, well, not really because my oldest one moved back. And, uh, <laughs> and my second oldest is saying she's moving back. So, hey, I'm my mom though. I love that. My husband is like, y'all <laughs> I love Jesus. And, and you know, as Carol was praying, tears just started flowing. So something you need to know about me, I am huge, what we call waterhead, because I just fill up with water, my eyes fill up with tears when I think about how good God has been to me. And uh, I come from a very long line of strong women. Who's strong women in the faith? Uh, my mom, I, I wish she was here this morning, but uh, she wasn't able to make it. She is just a strong woman of faith. And uh, my grandmother uh, was my bestie for real. Like my, my grandmother, when it was only her and the pastor and the pastor's wife in Bible study, I would be sitting right there. And she, they would have me read the scripture, you know. Um, she would clean up the church on Saturdays and just be me and her. And she'd be wiping down the, the pews and I'd be cleaning behind her. And so I come from a, a, a long line of women of faith. And my dad, my biological dad, is a fire, was, he's gone on to be with the Lord. I'm talking about a fire preacher, like fire, fire preacher, right? So, um, and then I was raised by my stepdad. Uh, early on, my mom and dad divorced, and then my stepdad came in my life, who was another awesome uh, man of God. So, I've, I've, I've been blessed to be raised in the faith. And when Kara, every helpful, said, you know, come share, I'm just letting y'all know that I'm a preacher like my mom and my daddy. <laughs> and I get happy. I shout sometimes. You know, I, I may jump up and dance and do like David did. But so this morning, I'm going to keep the story time. But my crew know, y'all hear me screaming and hollering. I just, you know, bring it down a little bit. But you know, I, I, I love God. And I've always had this joy of knowing him at an early age. So as... As uh, I begin to grow, you know, and in, in my faith and in Christ, life started happening. As I mentioned, I think one of the earliest instances in my life where I began to feel like, okay, God, are you really who you say you are? It was probably around 10 years old when my two dads, you know, my, my biological dad and my stepdad, they both loved me so much. 
but wrong people stuff was happening that I didn't know about between my mom and my and my biological dad and, and my stepdad. And I remember my dad, uh, my biological dad, coming to pick me up for visitation. Because, you know, every Saturday he would come pick me and my brother up. And I remember him beating on the door really, really hard. And my mom and dad, just to give you a little context here, they owned a print shop. Okay, we, you know, I grew up in the hood, like the hood hood. But even in the hood, my mom and my stepdad um, was able to start a printing shop right in the middle of the hood. Like a part of our house was connected to the, to the print shop. Print machines and stuff would be, you know, going early on in the morning and sometimes we would wake up to it. But I remember hearing this, this bang on the door. I knew it was time for my biological dad to come pick me up. And, you know, my dad, my stepdad and my mom were in the print shop working and so they didn't hear the door. And so I heard my biological dad come down to the other door, the other side of the house, bang, 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 bang. And so... I was ready to go, me and my brother was ready to go, and all of a sudden I heard this argument. And my stepdad was saying, you don't come bang on the door, these are my kids. You know, when, when we're ready to open the door, we're ready to open the door. And I heard my biological, my biological dad say, well, they're my kids, and I come pick them up, and if it's 10 o'clock on a Saturday, you need to open the door. Now I realize I had two men fighting over me, which never happened again. <laughs> <laughs> that never happened again. But it felt good to be loved. But at the same time, I didn't know what was going on. And it was that day that my stepdad, in his love for me, said, I tell you what, you, you can't come over here anymore. And you will not disrespect my home. And my real dad, my biological dad, was like, well, these are my kids, and so, you know, I'm going to come pick them up. But I don't know what happened in between, but I remember my biological dad coming to the other side of the door and my stepdad saying, okay, he wants to talk to you. And my real dad said, you know, it's just not working out. These visitations are not working out. And when you get older, you'll understand, and uh, I won't be coming to pick you up on Saturdays anymore. I'm like, oh, it sounded good when y'all were fighting over me. I was left that day, me and my brother, I was left that day at 10 years old thinking, that's grown people's stuff. And I feel like I'm being left alone. And I feel like the two men that I love, because both of them are, were, were amazing uh, men, couldn't get it together enough to think about me, you know. And so now... Uh, I'm estranged, so I went years being estranged from my biological dad, you know, here and there. He went on to have five more beautiful children, and, you know, if I start telling you all about the rejection that as a 10-year-old you feel when, you know, you don't have your biological dad in your life, you know, all those things uh, come up and manifest in different ways, right? So anyway, that was the earliest sign that I really felt alone. I felt alone, and I remember the word, because my grandmother had taught me and my mom had taught me that the word says that God will never leave you. And I was like, hmm, that's funny, because <laughs> I feel very, very alone. And so, you know, you get over things, and you love your parents, and you just kind of get through life. And so that was the first time I felt alone. 
And then here I am now going through school and me and my brother and my sisters and, you know, our family is growing and we're, I'm managing this estranged relationship with my father. Uh, I'm loving my stepfather, you know, so you move on, you get on with life and then you grow and then the next phase of your life comes, right? And so now I'm 18 and uh, not knowing that, you know, I had certain voids in my life, not knowing that I ended up at 18 falling in love with a drug dealer and gang back. Now this, he was fine. <laughs> I'm telling you, he was, he was glory to look upon. Yeah. I mean, he was, you know, this tall, chocolate, I mean, he had muscles in his neck and shoulder. And, I mean, this guy uh, looked amazing, number one, so that attracted me. I was 18. He happened to be in church, and he he was living a life that was not pleasing to God, and I fell in love with him. I had plans to go back to school, you know, to college, and by the age of 19, I found out that I was pregnant by him. And here again, this is a lonely place. I'm, I'm about to be a statistic. You guys know the statistic, the teenage pregnant girl who didn't finish high school. I said, okay, that's who you're going to make me be God. You said you never... Leave me alone. My grandmother taught me never alone. But here I am again feeling alone. And that wasn't the meat of the, of the issue. The issue was that he had lived a life of addiction and drugs and crime and gangbanging. And he ended up, when I became pregnant, facing 50 to 99 years aggravated on an assault case. And the story was that uh, he and a couple of other guys went into a H-E-B in Huntsville with guns, took nine customers at gunpoint, put them in the freezer, and robbed the store. There was even a, a, a young lady that identified him on the scene. And so now I am 19 and I'm pregnant. I didn't, go to, I didn't go to college. I wanted to go to college. Uh, I was raised that never alone. I, I remember my grandmother and my mom saying, he'll never leave you alone. But here I am again, God. What's happening? I'm, I'm pregnant. I'm 19. I, I've dealt with addiction, and I had no idea what addiction was about. I, I, now I'm in this cycle of addiction. I don't know what this is about. All I know, I was a church girl. Know, Jesus loves me. This I know. <laughs> That's all I knew. And so now I'm faced with a life that I had no idea. I'm, I'm grown into this life. But I love this man. And here I am, pregnant, not in college like I wanted to. And this man, this drug dealer, is facing 50 to 99 years. So now I'm really going to be a statistic, right? I'm going to be one of those girls. <laughs> with my baby on my hip, you know, and I'm by myself, and I'm going to have to raise this child by myself. And so I can't tell all the in-betweens of the story, but I had gotten to a point to where I was shamed because I'm, I'm the church girl. What you doing to have sex anyway? Uh, you sing in the choir. You lead worship. You know, anybody ever been there? Mm -hmm. right, 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 I'm right. the good girl, you know. You lead worship, and, and so now I'm like, I'm pregnant, <laughs> and this man is facing 50 years to 99 years aggravated. I felt really alone. And I said, God, my grandmother said, my mom said, what? And her alone. I feel really alone. 
I feel like an outcast. Nobody even knows <laughs> what I'm going through. I hadn't told my parents about his addiction. I hadn't told anyone about what he was doing. I was living this life all within myself. But my stepdad, he's a gangster. Like, he's from Detroit, right? <laughs> and he had a little glimpse. He was like, Nisi. Nisi is what they used to call me. And he would look at me every once in a while and say, are you okay? I'm like, Dad, yeah, I'm good, Dad. I'm fine. He was like, you know, if you're going through something, you can always tell me. And I just never told because when you're dealing with shame and you're dealing with a life that you didn't expect and now you think everybody's looking at you and you... And you, you just don't. And so I went within and I began to say, you know what? I'm not feeling like a child in this world like this. I'm not going to do it. And mentally, I was destroyed. Men mentally, it was like I would be better off dead. And I always tell this part of my story because, you know, God knows me. Like, he knows who I am. And I'm looking back like God knew me because... When I was about to commit suicide, he didn't let me take pills, you know, pills which just make you go to sleep. He didn't let me take a gun to my head because, first of all, I was suicidal, but I still thought I was pretty, so I wanted to go to I'm not that crazy. I don't want to do that. You know, that's not mine. Somebody else could do that, you know. Um, I didn't want to cut a vein. I was too scared of that. And so I'll never forget uh, and some of you may remember this years ago if you were if you were raised in Houston, Texas, like I am Galveston, it's not too far from, from uh, Houston. There were stories about people who have been found in Galveston and drowned. And I remember it was about 12 cases uh, that came up on the news that they had found about 12 people within like a six-month span. And they were trying to figure out what was going on, where were where all these drivers coming from? And uh, little did I know that uh, I was being led just to commit suicide the way that the enemy told me this will be the easiest way out. You don't know how to swim, but you believe in God. This is how the enemy talks. Let me talk like that. But because you believe in God, go out to Galveston. And because you love your family, Strip out of your clothes, fold your clothes up neatly, leave your clothes in your car, leave your watch in your car, so if they ever look for you, at least they'll find your stuff in your car. And I remember, I remember the enemy speaking to me and saying, you know, go all the way out, and when you get out there, you're God. He'll just take you away with the water. It's not, it's not a, you know, gun story. It's not that. That was the way he led me into taking my life. And... Uh, I went out, stripped down out of my clothes, and at this time, now I look back and I look back. I had literally had a moment to work because I was on this beach, stripped down out of my clothes, and I would walk all the way out to just enough where I feel my feet, and then I would go back. And here I am, 19 years old, drenched in water, hair water, and then I would get scared and I would come back and I would sit on the sand. And oh my God, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced a time where you feel like you were losing your mind. I knew I had lost my mind because I remember now I was picking up sand and I was throwing it on my head. And I remember people were passing me on the beach. And, you know, one gentleman passed me by and he was laughing. And another gentleman, another couple came by and they said, Are you okay? Something's not right. 
And I, I don't even remember talking to them that they passed me up. Because I had been, I had come to a point to where like, what, what? I was out of my mind. And just because I was out of my mind did not change what my grandmother had taught me. She said, never alone. And I remember being in the sand on the beach, about to go out to that water that had taken other people out. And I remember there was a drunk black woman who her features was strong. Uh, and she walked by and I could tell that she was drunk. And she looked at me and she called me little baby. She never asked me my name. She said, what's wrong with you, little baby? And I don't even remember telling her what's wrong with me. I couldn't say anything because I think I, you know, at that time I, I really, to me, had lost my mind. And she said, what's wrong with you? And I don't remember responding. I can't tell you to this day. And her voice was slurred. She said, mm-mm, mm-mm, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. And I didn't say anything. I couldn't even respond. She pulled, I don't know what she had on. I don't know if she pulled something up, but she took her arm and she said, look, look at me. Look at me. She put my chin up. She said, look at me. You see these? See these marks? And I saw marks from this end of her wrist all the way to that end. And she said, I've been where you've been before. I've tried to, I know what you're doing. Don't do it, little baby. And her slurred voice, don't you do it. And she said, where you live? And when I think about it, I only remember saying I live in Houston. Well, where in Houston? Rosewood. And I'm crying by this time. And this drunk woman said, come on. She picked me up. She said, how did you get here? And by this time, I think I'm getting my mind back or something. <laughs> now I'm like, uh, I drove here, you know. And now I'm a little afraid because I'm like this woman. She tells me to get up. And she pulls me up. She's like, where are your clothes at? And she took me to my car and she put my clothes on, drunk, slurred voice. I'll never forget. I'll never forget her face. And she had a group of partiers that were in a truck, that was in a truck, that was parked behind my car. And she said, hey, with her drunk voice, hey, hey, this my, this, this little baby, didn't know my name, this little baby, I'm about to take her home. Because she said, I know where Rosewood is. I grew up over there. She said, so y'all follow me. I'm taking little baby home. And I was so destroyed. Went and I, I remember, God don't let you lose your whole mind. Because I remember thinking, Father, she drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I remember writing my 
longer now. And I remember being in this place of like, what just happened? So I remember my grandmother said, never alone. Yes, God. And she dropped me off. And she got in that car with the rest of the partiers. I don't know what they did when they left. <laughs> Maybe they went back to party. But before I got, before I got all the way out of the car, before she, she left, she said, what's your name? I said, my name is Jesus. She said, I love you. And she said, God does too. <laughs> and from that moment, from that moment, I remember going in the house. Nobody knew where I was. Nobody knew what had happened to me. I lived with my sister at the time. And I remember going and laying down, and my body was in such pain. And I remember crying out to God. I don't want, I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to, I don't want to have this on my name. I've been saying that for a long God. I want to live the life that you want me to live. And she left me the next day. I got enough strength to go to work. And when I got home, my sister said, Nisi, somebody called you and they called to check on you. I said, what? Who? She said her name was okay. And I've never heard from her from that day. That was the only time I knew her name. And God just keeps reminding me even now that I'm never alone. And you guys, I got a call from my drug dealer or a friend. And he ended up saying, hey, you know, I want to be with you. Uh, I know you're pregnant. Uh, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of those kids. If God be my help. And I'm like, boy, please. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be a statistic. You may be in jail for the rest of your life. I'm not trying to hear it. And call me again. Uh, you know they got a court date. And I'm like, this is collect calls, by the way. <laughs> so I'm paying for this, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't. Mm -mm. I'm, I, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to live. And God's got me. No, no, but I, I, I'm changing my life. And I'm going to click. Every time he would call, I don't care. So 25 years later, that drug dealer and gangbanger is my husband <laughs> and my pastor. And we serve a community that looked just like us when we were 19 and he was 24. And he kept his promise. He promised that he would raise his children. And so, see, I didn't know what God was doing on the other side. You know, and this is not a story where, you know, I tell everybody, stay with your drug dealing game. <laughs> <laughs> it's my story. You know, God did it for me. And I'm grateful. But he has his way of never leaving you alone. And guys, that wasn't the end. I told Helpful, I said, I got so many stories to tell. You know, even after that, uh, we started the ministry and God was with us. And my husband kept his promise. And we were re we were reaching and still are reaching young men that are in gangs. And I was talking to young pregnant women and I was saying, you can make it. And even after that, we started a church. We started a ministry. He's reporting to his parole officer because, you know, the blessing about it is he got convicted of a crime that he did do, but the evidence showed that the crime in, at the HEB store is one that he really did not do. <laughs> he didn't do it. He had lent his car to a group of men, and they had set him up. They had took a jacket out of his house, wore the jacket, and so when the lady, you know, 
identified, she may identify the wrong person, and the evidence came forth for that that was one that he didn't do. Praise God. Isn't it good that there's some stuff that we should have <laughs> got in trouble for? And he's like, okay, you should have. That is the is the price, but I'm gonna give you grace. And so even after that, guys, and I, I'm I'm pretty I'm just wrapping up, but even after that, uh, my life has been one such that God has reminded me that I am never alone. Five years into the ministry, he's seen his parole officer. Some of my neighbors were there when this happened. We have built a church in the community. God is good. People are coming to the ministry, and it's our five-year anniversary. And we spent two months planning, three months planning for this big anniversary. Because, you know, it's a testimony, honey. Y'all, everybody's going to hear this story about how God delivered us. And it's five years. And five years means grace, right? We're going to tell people about the grace of God. And he goes to a parole visit and finds out that his parole officer is different. There's a new parole officer. And not only is there a parole officer, there's an audit that's happening at the parole office. And so his parole officer says, hey, uh, you got some fines that was a requirement of your parole. You've done awesome in all these other areas. You know, you've done good, reported, never had any other offenses. There's some, uh, there's some fines you need to pay. Get them paid. When you go to court, you're going to be good. Got the fees paid, went to court. And the judge sent him back to jail. And we said to our lawyer, you know, you said that they don't send people to jail based on fines. He would have to have another offense. Do you see all the good that he's done? And our lawyer lawyer said, you know, I don't know. I can't even explain to you why this happened. So I'm back like, God, we've lived our life. And now we're having this anniversary service. And we've invited everybody to come. And... He's in jail. He never had anything else that came up. Our lawyer was shocked. And the lawyer was sure. And the lawyer said, you know, I don't know what's happening to you. He said, he said, I just did a case with someone that had a prior and that had a repeat offense. We got him off. And he said, you know, I think it's because he's a minister. And I think this judge is trying to make an example that even the littlest thing you're going to have to pay for it. And you guys, I went, we, we were planning for this big deal and my children now, they're seven, they're small. All they know is daddy is a good guy. All they know is daddy loves God. All they know is mommy serves. Up to that point, I was a sweet little youth minister. <laughs> I love the children's church. You know, I, I worked in the children's church and I was fine sitting on the front row because I was the first lady. You know, that's what they called us back then. And that was what I did. I was enjoying my life. And my husband was the preacher. And we would tell our testimony. And how do you send somebody back? And my lawyer was like, well, we're going to fight this. And we're going to get a, a thing. We're going to get a, we're going to tell the story of what happened in the parole office. Now, say he's never had any other. We're going to present this to the judge. Present it to the judge. And the judge said, no, no. We're going to. You know, he's going to sit back. And so, five years anniversary, I'm having to stand up in front of people in a church. And I said, you know, we're all collect call again. <laughs> collect calls again. And I thought that, and I said, what am I supposed to do when some of them were here, some of the ladies that are here? 
I got people coming. This was on a Thursday. I have people coming in. I can't believe this happened. I'm trauma. This is trauma. I'm like, my kids, what do we do? And I remember my husband said, tell them the truth. I have no shame. Tell them the truth. And we ended up having that anniversary service. And God took me from being that little youth worker, little youth teacher. <laughs> and he says, nobody else is going to leave this church. These people love your story. These people are here because they saw God. We, you're going to have to just preach. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'm not. I called my, I called my sister's husband. I called the other preachers. Uh, Dorbella, who was the uh, secretary at the time. Uh, I was like, we got to call the, the men of God because I'm not going to be no preacher. This, I, no, I know. Now, I, I'm strong. I'm from a strong line of preachers and teachers, but I like children. I do children's ministry. <laughs> 2008, husband's back. He, and it's funny because we laugh now because he had told God, I ain't never doing, I ain't never going back to prison. <laughs> and the Lord was like, well, I got some work for you to do. We got over the trauma, we got over the shop, and then my husband said, you know what, however long it takes. Mm -hmm. And I led the church. The little first lady, Kara, who loves the children, who does the children's ministry. Now I'm preaching every Sunday. And now I'm telling people about God, who had never heard necessarily from me. And 2008, y'all remember Hurricane Ike? Mm -hmm. Hurricane Ike came. The building that our church was in told the building, told the roof off the church. And the Lord <laughs> said, I'm here. And my grandmother said, no, no. And the roof tore off the building. We had to have church outside. There we so here I am. We're a congregation of people, a toe-up church, a husband in jail. <laughs> and God is like, I'm never leaving you alone. You guys, here's what I know. I did what God told me to do for a year. Thank God it wasn't longer than that because it could have been. After all of the appeals and all of that for a year, I raised my children. I preached. And outside on that parking lot, people began to hear that speaker that I was preaching in. And cars would line up on the side of the street. And people would come out to their porch. And they was listening to this little youth network te worker, teacher, teaching the word of God. And by the time my husband was released, there were, before he was released, while we were doing all that, he was writing letters to the congregation. Mm -hmm. I said, this man is like Apostle Paul. And there he was sending me that was in jail. Helped them. They were coming to the church. They got released before he did. And they were coming to the church saying, this man saved my life. This man prayed for my family. And we're coming to join this ministry. And another one came out. And he said, better get up and tell the testimony. Uh, Pastor Gentry told me to tell y'all. <laughs> From jail, told me to tell y'all that he's doing good, but he laid <laughs> hands on me, and I was I had an infection, and God healed me while I was in jail. And these families were coming to the ministry, and I was preaching and teaching, and our congregation and the letter over there was writing letters and administrating. By the time we had got home, our ministry that was at about sixty people had grown to about three hundred. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We had to move. God blessed us to move in the school. And from that, those 300 people, even all of the people joined us and we started Community Works. 
CDC. And now we're able to reach so many people that look just like us, so many teen moms that look just like me. And I know the meaning today. I know the meaning of never alone. And so God has taught me through all of that that there is, that he will take us from fear to faith. Mm -hmm. He'll take us from loneliness to love. He'll take us from a tragedy to trauma. He'll take us from betrayal to beauty. He'll take us from a life that didn't look like what we thought it should look like. And he'll give us the life that he desired. All for his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. We mentioned in the beginning of the episode that today was a little different and we have a special guest and we are so excited for you all to meet our friend Hethel from Katy, Texas. Um, You know, you get to hear us talk about stories a lot and you get to hear the storytellers live from their settings, but y'all don't get to often hear what happens at a live storytellers gathering. And Janice's story was one of those Holy Spirit moments in the room that only someone that was there could explain. And so we asked Hethel to join us to just tell us what happened after she shared her story. And really, when Holy Spirit showed up in the room, just what it was like. And so, Hethel, have at it. Thank you. I'd love to. It's funny. Janice's story was, it was spectacular, as you've just heard. But for us in the room, what happened after... It was maybe more spectacular, and, and I don't think there's words to give you an, a, a good understanding, except that the Holy Spirit just moved to reinforce her, her whole message of he never leaves us alone. It, we are never alone. So her story ended, and we turned off the recording, and then we just kind of, no one wanted to move. No one wanted to leave. No one wanted to even, like, get up from their seat, and so people just started kind of chit-chatting, except there was one group conversation. It was probably 20 people in the room. And it was like, just this large group conversation. And all of a sudden, you just feel this presence. It was like a tangible feeling of holy ground, like something shifted in the room. And as women were talking and asking questions, you could feel, I don't know, almost a wind of, of, oh, we are never alone. We are together in this. Janice and her friends that were there come from a very different church background than most of the women that typically come to our storytellers. And I think the spirit not only let us experience the fact that he's always with us, but I think there was a depth to, we are never alone with each other. That while we come from different parts of and different denominations, his big C church is together. It doesn't matter if we agree on some little things, but in this, in the things that matter and the things of of Christ, we're not alone. We're together in it. So we just hung out. I mean, I think we hung out for almost two hours, which typically we do not do that. We said very clearly, if you need to go, just get up and leave. It's no big deal. We, we hung out. We prayed together. We sang a couple of hymns. I think no one wanted to leave that room. No one wanted to leave the tangible, audible presence of the Lord. It was so special. I wish I could bottle that feeling up for each of each of us. Wow. I have chills. What an environment to be in. And so thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. I love, you know, I love how in Janice's story that we see how Jesus showed up in a pretty miraculous way. 
And I love the reminder that we're not alone. But what I love most, Hethel, is that you guys just didn't hear her story and leave. You were able to really just marinate in it. And oftentimes we hear a story and then we just kind of get busy and we move on to the next thing. But I love how you guys just stayed there. You allowed community to play such a large role. And that's what really what Storytellers is all about. I mean, we say all the time (laughs) our values are that community is built and that freedom is found and that faith is increased. And Hethel, y'all experienced all three of those at once. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I think the the deeper for me, it wasn't just community for the sake of community. Not that that's what the value is, but it was just community for the building up of the church and the building up of, of the body. And it's hard or rare to experience something like that. We all came from such very different walks of life. Every single person in the room has such an incredible but very different story. And yet, we were all feeling the same presence and experiencing the same um, confirmation of we're not alone and we're together in this. And the, the big church has something to offer together and we need each other. I mean, we kept saying, gosh, we need each other. We need each other. Yes. And I will say too, that is my very favorite thing about storytellers, especially at a live gathering where not everyone is from the same church. Not mm-hmm. everyone is from the same background or of course has the same experiences. And like you say, Hethel, everyone is part of the Big C Church. You know, maybe Janice's story wasn't anything that we have experienced personally, but we have all experienced the power of God. And and certainly as women, we have all felt alone at some point. And how he shows up in the most unlikely of ways. It's easy to discount people and it's easy to, uh, to go, well, she's got nothing to offer me or what would I possibly learn from her? I mean, I think that's the power of storytelling and the power of being in a physical room with each other. Um, you're human face to face. It's all evident. Everything's evident. The differences, all of it's evident. And yet we're still the same. Our, our deep down needs and desires and wants and how God meets them are all the same. Well, Hethel, thank you so, so much. You know how much we love you. We love what God is doing in Katy, Texas. Y'all, thank you for listening today. We hope that you enjoyed this as much as we did, getting to meet some of our friends from around the country and hearing a little bit of behind the scenes what happens at live gatherings. So have a great week and we will talk to you next week. Bye.